Welcome to Sydney Property Insider, giving you news and insights on the Sydney property market. Your hosts are Michelle May, a professional buyer's agent and owner of her independent buyer's agency, and Marcus Roberts, a member of Property Investment Professionals of Australia and owner of leading mortgage broker firm, Brighter Finance. Hi, and welcome back everyone to part three of the changes in the Rental Tenancy Act. I'm very lucky to be here again today with Jonah Tolley and, of course, the always wonderful Marcus Roberts. How are you guys today? Fantastic. Thanks, Michelle. Good, good. That's excellent. Marcus? So am I, yes. I've effectively <laughs> gone the uh, the watchdog downstairs quiet, so I've just put her in a different room, so we're, we're ready to go. We're ready to record today. You're not expecting any more packages? Hopefully not, no. <laughs> So as I said, today we're covering part three of the changes. So we wanted to discuss a number of points here uh, and Joe will run us through this um, with her expert experience here. Um, so we're going to talk about smoke alarms, landlord-tenant information, landlord contact information, lease and condition report and footage publication. So Marcus, take it away. Yeah, so there's certainly a lot to cover today. So, so jumping right on, in smoke alarms, certainly um, you know really important part of uh, any any property, and um, you know making sure that the battery's working, making sure that they're in working correct order. So, Joe, what standards were across smoke alarms and um, and you know working functionality and so forth prior to the the recent uh, legislation changes? And I guess what have the changes been? Prior to the changes, the landlord had to check the smoke alarm before every tenancy, every new tenancy rather, and they obviously there were requirements to repair them as well. But the new legislation says that um, smoke alarms installed in a rental property must be in working order and um, the landlord needs to repair or replace a smoke alarm within two business days of finding out it's not working. And that's even if just the battery needs to be changed. So the uh, legislation is all about performance uh, this time. The landlord needs to check a smoke alarm every 12 months. So now it's not before every new tenancy, it's every single 12 months that um, the smoke alarms need to be checked. And they also need to install or replace um, batteries that are removable. And for lithium batteries, they need to uh, replace them in the period that has been specified by a manufacturer. But they also need to replace smoke alarms within 10 years of the manufacture date. So there's a lot of um, performance requirements in this new legislation and it extends to the tenant as well now. So the tenants need to take a little bit of responsibility too. Okay. And with the, um, so replacing smoke alarms, the actual system or smoke alarms themselves within 10 years of manufacture earlier, who can actually carry out those, um, those replacements or even removable replaceable batteries? Who is allowed to conduct that um, activity? A licensed electrician needs to be used to repair or replace a hardwired smoke alarm. A tenant can replace a battery, a removable battery, and there is a provision in the lease agreement whereby a landlord or the property manager needs to specify the type of battery that the smoke alarm requires in the event that a tenant does need to replace a battery. But the batteries should last 
if the batteries are replaced every 12 months, they should last that 12-month period. Oh, sometimes they don't. but um, And so hopefully uh, the tenant never has to replace the batteries, but um, I would always recommend getting somebody licensed to do it anyway. Of yeah. course, yeah. And, and one of the things that you mentioned there is really getting on top of it very quickly. So having that repair or replacement done within two business days mm. of finding out. Mm. Um, now, you know, if your landlord isn't um, isn't available within that time, I imagine the tenant can actually choose to do that themselves, but they would need to therefore um, notify the landlord or the managing agent that they have taken out that action. If they do take that action, who pays for the, the replacement? You're correct. The tenant is empowered to take action if the landlord hasn't done so within two days, but the landlord does also need to reimburse the tenant for the costs involved. Yeah, which certainly makes sense because the the idea I, I imagine behind the legislation changes is to bring everything to a higher standard correct. to have um, you know have them in working in correct order and in good condition. Correct. So. If you allowed, say, tenants to say, oh, look, we don't really need to change it because they're they're potentially liable for the cost, these things might slip through the cracks. So having having the onus, I, I guess, back on the landlord for such means mm. that the tenant can make that repair knowing that it won't cost them out of pocket. Correct. However, the tenant, if they do affect the repairs themselves, they must use an, a licensed electrician to do the work, but they are entitled to reimbursement for the costs. Okay. Yeah. Mm. That's good. Everyone's a little bit safer. Well, that's the whole idea of it, isn't it? Mm. Um, we don't want anybody dying from a faulty smoke alarm. Gosh. No. That would be no, but certainly, certainly all the alarms that we've ever had, um, they those batteries seem to go out of whack around 3 a.m. on a Thursday morning. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> it always has to be the middle of the night for yes. them to, to break down. <laughs> <laughs> That's right, yeah. So now I hear them when I'm up with the baby, but um, in, in days gone by, yes, it, it would have been a, a, awake through the night, but now that I'm awake 24-7, it's, uh, it's not as much of an impetus as it, as it once was. Welcome to the world of parenthood, huh? Yeah. So now this brings us to um, swiftly moving on <laughs> from parenting skills to landlord and tenant information statements. So um, landlords are now required to read and understand the contents of a new landlord information statement, which sets out their rights and responsibilities as a landlord. Similarly, there's also a tenant information statement, which does the same. Joe, run us through what this actually means. So the tenant statement isn't so new, uh, the tenant information statement. There used to be something called the um, new tenancy checklist that tenants had to be given. And Mm -hmm. so the tenant information statement replaces that. But with the landlord's information statement, this is something new that's been introduced and it's a six-page statement that the landlord needs to read and acknowledge their understanding of. And it outlines things such as the landlord's general responsibilities before putting their property on the rental market, uh, what a property uh, needs to be in order to be fit for habitation, 
what they need to tell their tenants, what the, the disclosures that they need to make to a tenant before getting into a tenancy agreement. Mm. Um, so some of the things we discovered before when exactly, episode one. Exactly, exactly. And so now a landlord needs to read the statement and in the case of a, um, and there's a provision in the lease that they need to sign to say they've read it. And in the case of a property manager, where a landlord has engaged a property manager, the property manager will provide that landlord statement to the landlord. And then uh, once they've received confirmation from the landlord that they have in fact read it and they do indeed understand it, then the property manager can make that declaration on the lease on behalf of the landlord. And uh, the tenant's statement is, um, like I said earlier, it's the same as the new tenancy checklist and it covers the same sorts of things that the landlord information statement um, contains and uh, we are required to provide that to a tenant prior to them entering into a lease agreement or at the same time of them as, as they're entering into that lease. And yeah. they also need to sign a declaration within the lease agreement that they've received it as well. Yeah. So I guess from both sides, it's a legally binding contract to say, hey, you know what you're doing, you know what you're doing, you know what you're liable for. It's just an extra, I guess, step of security to ensure that everyone knows what they're in for, which can only be a good thing, I imagine. Exactly. No one can say that they didn't know about those very important points Mm. of the tenancy legislation that are applicable to both landlords and tenants. So ignorance is no longer an excuse, basically. Yeah. So that moves us on to landlords' private information. So the residential tenancy law now requires that the landlords provide their name and either a telephone number or an email address to the tenant. Is this completely new? It's actually not completely new, but um, the enforcement of this is now new. (laughs) So Ah, this has actually been in the legislation for quite some time. Um, But now where landlords and property managers are, are, um, you now must provide this information to a tenant, whereas before a landlord could write, or a property manager rather, could write on the lease, Mr Jones, landlord, care of ABC Real Estate, that that's no longer okay. Uh, they okay. have to say Mr. Landlord and this is Mr. Landlord's email address. Um, they don't mm. need to put a phone number. Where a property manager has been engaged, they don't need to put a phone. It's either a phone number or an email address, but they do not need to put an address. Um, mm. But if the landlord was self-managing, well, then they need to provide an address or if the landlord is a corporation, they need to provide the corporation's business address and, and, and an email address and phone number. So, and, okay. and these things need to be given to the tenant before they enter the lease agreement um, and yeah. it's also no lease. So what is the purpose of this really? Because you'd think as a landlord, you know, this I want this to be a set and forget investment. Mm. I've got a property manager in place. They're, I'm paying them to do a job. They're looking after my tenants. I don't want somebody calling me at 3 a.m., you know, saying <laughs> the water pipes have burst or, or, or my, or my, my smoke alarm's going off. <laughs> yes, yes, that's exactly yeah. right. And um, there was, um, when this uh, legislation first came about, there was a lot of concern from landlords about this. But you know what? It's been operating in South Australia for many, many years with um, without a major problem. But the, the implementation of this is, I guess the reasons are twofold. Firstly, it's... Um, 
Well, if the landlord has engaged a property manager who is perhaps providing a less than ideal service to the landlords and the tenants, then it gives the tenant an avenue to ensure. And this is in particular, particularly mm. with respect to uh, repairs and maintenance, it gives the tenant another avenue to try and affect those repairs and maintenance. If the property manager is stonewalling or just not yeah. being really slow with their responses it allows the tenant to communicate uh, direct with the landlord and I guess then the landlord will be made aware of those repairs and maintenance if they weren't already and Mm. um, simultaneously be made aware of the perhaps less than ideal service that they're receiving from the property manager. Um, But the second second reason is um, and, and fair trading says it gives the tenants the ability to serve documentation on the landlord. Um, for example, if there were an NCAT proceeding that needed to be commenced by the tenant, uh, the tenant then has somewhere to be able to serve the landlord important documents. Just quickly, what what does that mean? Is it an application to NCAT? NCAT is the New South Wales Tribunal, and so if um, if right. the tenant needed to uh, serve paperwork or documents or a copy of a uh, NCAT application to the landlord, it gives the tenant the details to be able to do that, to serve that paperwork to the landlord. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, they wouldn't. They would, they couldn't just do that to the property manager. That they can do that to the property manager, but in the case of a self-managing landlord where they have to put their address in, it provides the tenant that information. Mm, absolutely. Yeah, that makes sense. Where a landlord engages a property manager, they only need to put a phone number or an email address, and we, we advise our landlords to provide an email address. So they're not getting those 3 o'clock in the morning phone calls. Um, yeah. <laughs> but in the case of a self-managing landlord, he must provide, or he or she, sorry, uh, they must provide um, an address as well, some sort of an address yep. as well. So, yep. um, oh, that makes sense. Yeah, mm, that makes sense mm. that you just got an extra safety net there in case you are dealing with, you know, perhaps a wayward property manager or things are happening a bit too slowly. And Yeah, that's uh, right. Then at least the landlord gets a heads up as well. That um, Precisely. Perhaps, you know, he should be looking for a different property manager. You know, it's amazing how many landlords actually aren't aware of um, repairs mm. and maintenance requests that have been submitted by the tenants. So mm. um, a lot of the times landlords will find out about these things and, and, and be totally shocked that it's been going on for many, many months. And So yeah. I guess it's just a way of creating better standards. Yeah, which is great. It is. It is good. And like I said, it's, this has been operating in South Australia for many, many years now and the majority of tenants will still go to the property manager as the first port of call. So Mm. nothing should change unless the property manager is doing a less than ideal job. Yeah. I also think sometimes, I don't know if you agree, but in this day and age sometimes people are afraid to reach out and make that personal connection, whereas if you actually know who your landlord is and you can have a decent conversation with them and you know who your tenant is, that actually brings forward a much better relationship, you know, including the property manager as well, as opposed to keeping everything anonymous and very clinical. Um, You know, the human relationships is what brings us together, really. I mean, I'm getting a bit philosophical now, but... (laughs) You're right, right, Michelle. Mm -hmm. At the end of the day... This is a business about relationships. It's more than just property and it's more than just leases and it's more than just investment. Um, the, mm. the, the foundation is relationships. Yeah, And that can never absolutely. be forgotten. 
No, exactly. Yeah. Okay, so that's a good step forward again. I think so. I think, um, you know, some landlords are a little bit concerned about providing their private details to the tenants and, and some mm. property managers had a bit of a song and dance about it as well. But, um, look, if you're a property manager and you're doing the right thing by your landlords and your tenants, then you've got nothing to worry about. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> now, Joe, talk us through um, some of the changes that have occurred or been brought into force in terms of sort of the tenancy agreement and more importantly, the, the new condition report mm. that's been put in place. So mm. I guess where were we and what has changed to the new normal? Well, generally the whole lease and the entry condition report have been changed and those changes reflect the new legislation and the new regulations. In the lease agreement, there's now an option for a five-year fixed term and that's to encourage landlords and tenants to consider um, longer-term tenancy agreements. And um, there's now the opportunity for landlords, I think we were, we were talking about smoke alarms earlier, there's now the opportunity for landlords to provide information to tenants about the types of smoke alarms that are installed um, and the types of batteries that those smoke alarms require. And there's also new terms in the lease requiring the landlord to let the tenant know in writing within 14 days if the property becomes um, the subject of health or safety risks or, you know, um, or a fire order, for example, things that um, affect or may affect the tenancy down the road. Um, the condition report's been expanded to include a section on the minimum standards. Um, so the landlord has to uh, confirm on the entry condition report that the property does meet those basic minimum standards and the tenant has the opportunity to agree with that statement or not. And the legislation now also allows for the condition report to be provided to the tenant electronically, whereas in the past it, it wasn't. So um, we're, we're seeing now a move towards more digital technology, which is absolutely fantastic. In the old days, we used to have to write handwrite a condition report in triplicate and then we'd keep the original and the tenants would get two copies and then they'd need to write their comments and, <laughs> and they'd give up one copy back and they keep the one the final copy with everyone's comments on it and it was so difficult. But now, um, <laughs> you know, with technology, they can receive the condition report electronically and do everything. So the legislation's been changed to allow that to occur, which is brilliant. Yeah, so that certainly brings it into um, into the the modern century. Oh, it's uh, one so thing, <laughs> one thing that you had uh, you mentioned right at the start there was the option for a five year fixed term. Now, mm. in our um, I think from from memory in our last episode that we we were discussing um, the length of, of tenure or the length of these agreements. Have yeah. you seen um, many landlords take up that five year option? No. I have one landlord and tenant who agreed on a 35-month tenancy agreement, so just shy of uh, three years. I've not seen a five-year tenancy ever in the 20-odd years that I've been doing this. Which, again, goes to, to maybe one of the, the small shortcomings of the, um, the update, which is that um, because of some of the new standards, it, it makes more sense to have shorter terms rather than go out to that four or five year period 
there's no incentive, unfortunately, for landlords or tenants, unfortunately, um, mm. to provide a longer-term fixed-term tenancy. That's not to say that tenants can't remain in a property for that long, but the fixed period, um, I haven't seen tenancies with a fixed period that long. I just had a tenant move out of a property recently and they were tenants of that particular house for 12 years. But the original mm. lease that they signed was only for 12 months, but they ended mm. up, you know, growing their Absolutely. whole family there. Um, you know, unless you're unless you're on, say, a um, specific five-year fixed contract with an employer and you know that you're going to be in a certain area, you're almost setting yourself up for the next five years of your life in a, in a property that you haven't lived in prior. So, mm. you know, it, it's almost to the point of, of um, purchasing, given how, I guess, given the, the length of period mm-hmm. um, that you're signing, you're, you're locking yourself in for both as a tenant and as a landlord. Yeah. Yeah. Look, it's great for a tenant. If they can find a landlord who's happy to offer them a five-year lease, then um, fantastic. But um, I've not seen any landlords who are um, open Mm. to that, I have to be honest. Okay. Now, moving on to um, one of the things that um, I know has has come up from time to time with some of my friends when I've I've spoken with them in the past, publication of photos and videos where the landlord is, um, you know, is either marketing for the new uh, for a new lease because their existing tenants are, have given notice, or mm. they're looking to sell the property and, and so forth. Mm. Getting access and um, and taking photos that you could then put on realestate.com.au or domain uh, may have been tricky in the past. What was the legislation like prior, and what changes have been um, implemented as part of the new agreements? The legislation was. Um Landlords could have access to a property in order to take photographs and um, or other footage for advertising purposes, but the tenant was able to then turn around and um, argue against the publication of that footage. Now, however, the landlord can still access the property and take photographs and footage and the like, providing the tenant's been given reasonable notice, of course, but the tenant can't um, withhold consent to publish that footage, we'll just call it footage, to publish that footage because they've been given reasonable notice to remove their personal belongings so that they're not photographed. So if they haven't taken the opportunity to remove their personal belongings, they don't want to be captured in the footage, then they can't actually, they can't withhold their consent, they can't stop the footage from being published unless, of course, it's a case of domestic violence, which is a little bit different. But um, um, now they can't um, thwart any any advertising campaign for sale or for lease that the landlord may need to enter into. So instead of that, they, they can thwart it by um, making the interior incredibly messy <laughs> or, uh, or similar to my bedroom in, the, uh, in my teenage years. <laughs> <laughs> Thankfully, we've got technology and we're able to tidy up photos and things like that. Oh, right. You must be very technology good Technology has come further than I have, yeah. Mm, interesting. Oh, that's so funny. <laughs> now, also the, um, the, the footage, if it's used for um, something I, I think I, I'd heard from you in a prior conversation, if the footage is um, for maintenance or rectification work, or for, say, yourself as a property manager um, to keep on file, mm. um, that's not considered published is my understanding? No, it's not considered published at all. 
and um, I regularly do this with my landlords. I will go in and I will, uh, during my uh, routine inspections, I will go and take photographs. And sometimes in the case of um, owners who live overseas, I will take um, video footage or even 360-degree virtual tour footage and provide that footage to the landlords, that is not considered publication. Um, mm-hmm. and, and, and it really is only done for the purposes of carrying out inspections or so the landlords can assess maintenance and repairs requirements and things like that and provide landlords with general updates. Uh, so that's not considered publication at all. Okay. I've actually got a condition in my lease agreement that says that any personal belongings that we've captured, we we, we actually promise the land uh, the tenants that we will not release that information to anybody other than other than the landlord. And it is only you know we're not deliberately trying to capture their personal belongings. It's just incidental anyway. Mm. Um, mm. But yeah. Well, Joe, as always, a wealth of information. Thank you so much for coming in for this third episode. It is my pleasure. Well, Marcus and I have certainly learned a lot, uh, but I hope our listeners, and I know our listeners will have learned a lot as well. So once again, you have done a video series on this. Where can they find this video series? Uh, the video series is hosted on YouTube. Um, mm-hmm. And if uh, somebody goes to YouTube and just searches for the rental specialists, they will see my channel pop up. And I have several playlists um, on my channel of various topics. And uh, one of one of the playlists is a whole 15-part series on, on the changes to the Residential Tenancies Act. I think that's fantastic. Thank you for making all that information available in bite-sized pieces and and just breaking down what's important and what to look out for for both landlords and tenants. Um, I think Mm. more people, you know, like you should be out there doing this kind of stuff. I think it's great. Um, So thank thank you. you again for coming in. As for today, I think that's it, Marcus, right? Yeah, I, I certainly think so. Joe, as, as Michelle's, um, Michelle said, and from my side as well, certainly thank you very much for being so gracious with your time. I think this has provided a lot of value to, uh, to our listeners, especially with some of the changes that they may not have been aware of. If uh, you do have a question for uh, either Michelle or myself or an episode idea, um, you can contact us on ask at sydneypropertyinsider.com.au. That's ask at sydneypropertyinsider.com.au. And Joe, um, your website, of course, is the rentalspecialists.com.au. Correct. Great. If you uh, if you do have any questions for Michelle or myself or Joe, um, feel free to get in touch with, uh, with any of us and, and we look forward to being with you same time, same place in the weeks ahead. Thanks for listening. Please note that any views or opinions presented in this podcast are solely those of the speakers and do not necessarily represent those of any business. These views and opinions are general in nature and do not take into account your personal objectives, financial situation and needs. Please consider whether it applies in your circumstance and seek professional advice where appropriate.